Welcome to The Table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. For you are weary, and the night is cold out here. Though our lives are very humble, what we have, we have to share. There is wine here to revive you, there is bread to make you strong. There's a bed to rest till morning, rest from pain and rest from wrong. Bless the food we eat today. Bless our dear sister and our honored guest. We have your silver. We caught this man red-handed. Get the nerve to say you gave him this. That is right. But my friend, you left so early. Surely something slipped your mind. You forgot. I gave these also. Would you leave the best behind? Monsieur, release him. This man has spoken true. I commend you for your duty. Now God's blessing go with you. But remember this, my brother. See in this some higher plan. You must use this precious silver to become 
an honest man by the witness of the martyrs by the passion and the blood God has raised you out of darkness I have saved your soul for I am quite confident that Victor Hugo, the author of Les Mis, one of the best novels of the 19th century, and of course, the famous Broadway production, I am quite confident he plagiarized Jesus. I mean, he totally ripped off stuff from Jesus when at the beginning of his story, John Valjean goes to to seek refuge from a priest overnight and during the night decides to steal all the priest's stuff and he grabs all the silver and he runs out in the the cover of night and then he's caught and arrested and brought back to the priest to return all the stuff he took and he's thrown to, to eventually be thrown in jail for the rest of his life likely but the priest vouches for Jean Valjean He vouches for his his crazy story, and the priest says he wasn't stealing. He also forgot all the other things that I gave him. Here, take, take more. And he buys Jean Valjean's freedom by giving him forgiveness right there on the spot. And it's funny because... It's exactly what Jesus said to do in this passage. It's almost as if Victor Hugo had read Matthew 5, thought about it, took some notes, and then tried to conceive of of a scenario that would correspond to today's scripture from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. Did you hear the scripture this morning? You've heard it said, an eye for an eye. And a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, don't resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, give them two miles. Give to anyone who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And that's exactly what the priest did. And the result was that this gesture of grace, this refusal to be drawn into conflict, this insistence on imitating these very radical values of Jesus, all the way to the letter of the law, this changes Jean Valjean's life and sets a trajectory that echoes into the lives of so many other people and into the future because of Jean Valjean, because of who he becomes. And even if you're brand new, to the Bible, or to church, or to religion, this is one of the passages that you've heard. Because the phrase, turn the other cheek, has become a part of the vernacular in our culture. Everyone knows this phrase. But, but, but what does a passage like this, what, is it, what does it mean? That's the question. <laughs> this problem is probably at the heart of why out of nearly 50 questions submitted for Ask Me Anything, many of you 
asked about this phrase or the loving your enemies phrase or the call from Jesus to love your enemies, to love those who are absolutely unlovable. You are ask, you're asking me this because of how this phrase has seeped into our language in and outside the church. And you ask this because of how difficult and how completely unrealistic these words seem for everyday life and everyday relationships. Are we really supposed to turn the other cheek and let people walk all over us? Would Jesus really have us do this? Do what, what that priest did? Jesus doesn't want us to become doormats, right? And how do, how do we even love? What does it look like to love like that? To advocate for and a love that that looks the other way to, to, to crime and evil. And how, how do we love those people, whether in our own lives or in the public eye, one of you asked. Whether in the public eye, he who shall not be named, who doesn't seem to have any positive or redeemable attributes at all, one of you asked. To answer these questions today, <laughs> we have to begin with where the text begins, begin with where Jesus begins. Jesus is developing a point here. Through a much larger argument he's making in this larger sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, that spans throughout Matthew chapter six, five and six. And it also seems like he's giving very specific instructions about what to do and how to live, instructions that are very hard. How, how, could, how could you live like this? How would that even work for us? Wouldn't, wouldn't people just come to view us as as being like this, this vending machine for free stuff? Maybe. Some people have taken it that literally. But let's, let's try to break down this thing. And to break it down, we have to begin where Jesus begins. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This time, it's Jesus doing the plagiarism. But he's allowed to because he's Jesus. Jesus is borrowing from the existing laws. This turn of phrase, eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, probably predates Hammurabi, who wrote down this code in Babylon in the 19th century BC. That's very, very old. Much older than the Old Testament law which at the very oldest date, Old Testament law would be like 1400s BC. But this predates back to 19th century BC. This has been floating around for quite some time, but probably Hammurabi was drawing on stuff that had already been out there before even him. When we say the ba Babylon here, don't picture, picture Nebuchadnezzar. That's the, that's the Neo-Babylon Empire. That's like 1,300 years later. It, it just happens to be on the same plot of land. No, this phrase finds its origin even before ancient, ancient Babylonian Empire. And, Her, and um, Hammurabi, who I think was the fifth king of the, this iteration of Babylon, they weren't the, the original holders of this. This is not... So just to be clear, this is not Jewish. This is not, this, 
bottom line, this phrase is old and it is, is not uniquely Israel's phrase. And Hammurabi's code laws that, that made a huge impact on the Old Testament law, that code wasn't all reinventing um, the wheel, but, but building upon laws, building upon laws from other cultures over time. And this phrase, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, would have been one of these, these regionally accepted laws that got passed down into the Old Testament law that Jesus is quoting. And here's how this actually goes in, in Hammurabi's code. If a man destroy the eye of another man, they shall destroy his eye. If a man destroy another man's bone, they shall destroy his bone. And the Bible picks up on this, and Jesus now is drawing on this tradition that everyone had read Everyone had read this, everyone knew this, and everyone generally thought it was a good and just rule. And why was it that a generally accepted by all of these cultures and peoples and all these times, why was this a generally accepted good rule? Is it because revenge is, is a good idea? No, if you, if you look closely at it, what you see is that this language was designed to keep things from going crazy. Designed from keeping people from hitting people over the head with tent poles. You hurt, you hurt me worth $10? I'm going to hurt you worth $10,000 now. You can't do that. That never ends. That sends, that's in society spiraling into this feud-like living where ultimately one clan is just going to have to kill the other clan and, because there's no settling something like that, right? And so society figured this out very early in the game and set rules that punishment would be proportionate to that the whole thing wouldn't wreck society. And people could quickly move past these kinds of grievances but what happens over time is that people start to read it the same way you and I read it. You punch me, I punch you. You hurt my feelings, I hurt your feelings. You steal my husband. People start to have this, if I do this, if you do this to me, I, it, is, it is owed to me to do this right back to you. What happens so often in church and out of church and friendships and social circles at work on sports teams is that we have this mentality that these rules of decency, these rules of decency, uh, they, they apply as long as everyone's nice, but as soon as someone violates that, it's on. When in reality, those rules are there precisely for when someone violates that. It's to keep it from going haywire. And e I think even Hammurabi understood that. But Jesus' original audience, much like Jesus' audience right now, us, maybe got a little confused on the concept and started to think and live like I'm entitled to hurt people when they hurt me. 
If, if it's on, I get to be fully on as well. And we're going to exchange punches until everybody feels a little bit better here. But I tell you, Jesus says, don't resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. What? Jesus is attacking one of the rules that everybody across all of these societies and times and laws across all of recorded history have agreed upon. The thing that's supposed to keep us in bounds. This this should step up the craziness with Jesus. The out of the worldness of Jesus in this passage. There is not much that people agree on. There's not much that people wholeheartedly across societies agree on. But this was one of those things. And Jesus blows it up. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand them your coat as well. The idea here is that if anyone takes your shirt, that's the cheaper thing, give him your coat, the more expensive garment as well. What? Give to anyone who asks you, Jesus says, and don't turn away from anyone who wants to borrow from you. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And of course, the reason why you all ask these questions, what what Jesus is, is shaping up here on the surface looks utterly impossible. Again, how do I do this? Wouldn't would the, the word get out that I'm just this, this vending machine and all people have to do is come and be mean to me? And then they're op, I'm obligated to give them my stuff? But also you have to admit, this is kind of beautiful. It's, it's the reason why that first scene in Les Mis is so moving to us. What a strange and backward way of looking at the world. It sure makes you think, it makes you think about how you're living. It makes you think about how, it makes you think about things. And so what is Jesus going for with all of this? Okay, so this is where it comes from, and and this is what Jesus said, but, but what does he actually mean? How do we love like that? How do we do it? How do we love those folks who have absolutely no positive attributes and who treat us like crap? All these instructions in this passage but Jesus gives the how the answer we're looking for in the final verse Jesus says be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect I know what you're thinking Michelle that's the whole point I'm having trouble with this turn the cheek thing because it feels like I, it's completely unattainable. Like I'd have to be lay Ms. Priest level perfect to ever live that out. And you're, you're telling me that the answer to this seeming perfection I can't attain is to be perfect? 
not much of an answer. But I swear to you, it's in this line that we find our how and our why today. The word that Jesus uses here for perfect has this teleological resonance to it, so meaning literally the root word of this perfect here is telos, meaning goal or an end or, or completion. The perfection for which we aim is the goal, this end, this completion. It's bigger than us. It's, it resides outside of us. We're not, we're not there yet, but we're getting a little bit closer every day. When Jesus says, turn the other cheek and love, love your enemy and even pray for them. And then he tells us to do it because we are to be perfect. As our, our Father in heaven is perfect, he's saying that this is all bigger than us, beyond us, outside of us. And that doesn't get us off the hook, but it means that we're works and progress. And that God is the one doing the perfecting in us. Love your enemies and be perfect as God is perfect. These words are expansive enough to accommodate the paradox of loving amidst hate. With room enough for people who find themselves on both sides of the equation often. These words are, are also forgiving enough. That we can live into them with grace even when we repeatedly fail. These words are a hope as much as a command. But it's the fiercest sort of hope you'll ever find. It's the kind that simultaneously loves us and interrogates us and perfects us. That's the kind of hope that that priest shows Jean Valjean, the kind of hope I swear Victor Hugo snatched right from Jesus. Did you hear his words in that beautiful opening song of of Les Mis? That priest offered a hope, a, a command that simultaneously loved Jean Valjean and interrogated Jean Valjean and perfected Jean Valjean. That is some kind of love. Did you hear those words? But remember this, my brother, see in this some higher plan. You must use this precious silver to become an honest man. By the witness of the martyrs, by the passion and the blood, God has raised you out of darkness. I have saved your soul for good. This is that perfecting work of God that is beyond us and in spite of us. And if we'll let it, it will work in us too. That that kind of hope that loves you and interrogates you and pisses you off and also perfects you. I offer this to you in the name of God the Father, in the name of Christ his Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you pray with me? God, you are the one who offers us hope. And yet this hope is not pie in the sky. When we chose to follow Jesus, it's a hope that 
that we know loves us when we need to be loved, interrogates us when we need to be interrogated, and perfects us for as long as we live. It sanctifies us, it makes us holier every day. We are works in progress, but we are on this road towards good. And so by the the witness of the martyrs, Work in our souls for you, God. The witness of all those who have gone through relationships that have perfected them, have been interrogated by your love. They're saints of time. Some of us here even today know what it's like to be perfected by a love that, that isn't easy. Not that we are perfect, but that you are perfect, God. We pray for for those today who are feeling slapped around right now. Who are feeling persecuted right now. Who are having a hard time getting on their feet feeling confident to leads them to interrogate darkness, the kind of love that interrogates the darkness in them, the kind of love that perfects them to become people who are constantly responding to darkness with light. It is this weird cycle, but it's because of you, Jesus, who constantly calls us into a new way of being that does not make sense. Not by the world's standards, but always is good. We join with you in that prayer that you taught us to pray in Jesus, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. This is the table of the Lord. There is peace at the table of the Lord.